Well, hello, Aretha. Hello. It's so great to have you on Improv Interviews today, and I have so many questions for you. First of all, I believe you have a six-year-old daughter right now. She's almost six. She'll be six in August. Oh, great. She'll be six in August. And uh, does she like to play games? She does. She does. She um, she loves games. We were just playing some word games this morning. We were actually playing Crambo, um, uh, which is in improvisation for the theater from Neva Boyd's book. But um, she, she, we, I've been doing more theater game workshops for kids um, recently as well because she really loves to play. And so I want her to grow up in the same tradition that I did playing the games. Yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> I wonder what age did you start playing the games and uh, what did you, when did you realize what your family was in, into? Um, that's a good question. I don't remember the <laughs> starting playing, you know what I mean? So uh -huh. I think we were always playing, but there, there is a point that there's an age where it's, it's, it's almost too early, you know, bef around five. Um, uh, I think normally when you start working playing theater games with kids, seven is a really appropriate age to start. Um, five is a little early, but you can really simplify the games and work with younger kids um, in different ways. With storytelling, is more helpful with the younger kids, but um, and, and in very simple games. But yeah, I think I don't even remember. So I think we were always playing games and doing storytelling, storytelling games, working up story theater shows, um, and with our friends, we would just like. My group of friends, we would just put on story theater shows because that's what we did, you know. We knew it, and so we could just do it ourselves, which is the fun part. And then we'd show them to the adults, um, you know. Uh, but uh, I believe a lot of the theater game workshops I did as a kid were with my mother, not not Paul. With Carol and, and Neva, your sister. My sister, Neva, is seven and a half years younger than me. Oh, okay. So she was... She would. She was definitely later. She was in them, but yeah, <laughs> I have two older sisters as well, uh, Rachel and Polly, and I'm the third. And so, yeah, we would all play together. So maybe if my audience may not be sure actually your heritage, and just for their information, your father is Paul Sills, credited with developing Second City, and Paul, of course, is the son of Viola Spolin, the mother of improv. So you are Viola's granddaughter. And, yeah, that's right. And your little girl is a great-granddaughter, carrying on the tradition. And so, <laughs> yeah. do you have memories of Viola? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Viola, I was I, th I was about 25 when Viola passed away. Um, so, we would spend a lot of time with her when I was a kid. And, um, and we'd, I'd go visit her, you know, up to that point, up to when she passed away. Uh -huh. And did she, did she teach okay. you, did she teach you games? No, no. I learned um, theater games from Paul. I was a student of Paul's. Um, but she, you know, she was always, uh, she didn't, you know, when, when we would just hang out as a family, it wasn't like we were playing games, right. Right. That, although that might have been fun. Yeah. Um, but she talked about her work a lot, and I was always listening. Um, she and, uh, but mostly, no, she was my grandma. Wow. Well, what are some of your memories of her? What was she like? I, I imagine her as like a colorful individual, um, very direct and honest. Um, but what, how did you experience her as a grandma? Yeah, those are all good descriptions. Um, she was always, 
in some sort of caftan, you know, that uh-huh. was, uh, and she often had um, something interesting on her skin. Like uh, she was always, uh, she was always trying out some new thing, uh, avocado uh, facial or something like that. She, <laughs> and she was fun. She was bohemian. You know, she always had a um, champagne and not that the kids would drink it. Um, they had, you know, sodas for us, but she always had champagne. There was always a party there. Um, her house, which I lived in for many, many years, was a sort of uh, hand-built, improvised home, and it, it fit her perfectly. Um, yeah, she was completely modern in every way, mm. in a way that we've sort of forgotten um, as, as the, you know, uh how how startlingly modern the women of her generation were. She was a forward thinker, and she wasn't interested in traditional roles of any kind. I bet. I imagine that's true. So how old were you when you first read her book, Improvisation for the Theater? Oh, I was probably, you know, 18, something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm in the social work psychotherapy field, and I think every social worker should read that book. I think everybody should read the book, actually. But there's so yeah. much great information about interpersonal relationships, and it's just an incredible piece of work. And you are a Spolin improviser and teacher, and uh, that's beautiful. So tell me a little bit about your brother, or father, Paul. What was he like? Paul, uh, he was, um, he was a, he was a powerful personality, um, and also very gentle at times. Um, he was brilliant, um, and, um, needed, always wanting a show. He always wanted to put on a show. He was always working on a show, thinking about a show. I never knew anyone who was so committed to the theater, um, head to toe. <laughs> and he would do it. He would do a show with anyone who was there, whether his, you know, professional cast or his community theater uh, players in Wisconsin. Um, he, you know, he truly, truly uh, felt the need for the community to get together and put on a show, and 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 created that possibility. That was that was his driving force. It was it was interesting to watch growing up. So he was always seeing possibilities, and uh, always, yeah. And uh, he's there was never a moment he wasn't thinking about a show. Even if he was listening to a Bob Dylan record, he would stop. He would be dancing around the house, and then he'd stop and go, "This could be a show. This song, you know." <laughs> <laughs> now, and he was your first improv teacher, then your father. Yeah, although they, you know, Paul and Viola did not use the term improv. Oh, what they use. Um, improvisation or theater games or theater. Okay. I think it's actually at this point become a pretty helpful distinction as well, because when people think of improv, they think of comedy. And, um, and so at this point I just, you know, I just keep them separate, but, uh, cause it's, it's helpful for people to understand that it is slightly different. Spolin and Sills improvisation is, a, uh, has a, a closer relation to the theater and for the training of, yes. of actors. But uh, what was the question again? Sorry, but um, he, he was. Oh, just that he was always seeing the possibilities in life, and oh, yeah. so he was a pretty optimistic fellow. Um, no, I wouldn't say <laughs> that. He he <laughs> he was a bit of a philosopher, um, and I think that 
he, um, in the sense, that's what he loved to read, you know. Uh, um, he was always read and, and the great poets, great literature. Um, and there is in that, like Martin Buber was his wow. guy. Martin Buber wow. was, and, and that is an optimistic philosophy. It's about direct connection between human beings as a path to God, as Paul would say. And so in his way, he was very optimistic, but he was also a realist and he, he could see the world around us crumbling in a way that, you know, denying the possibilities of humanity and um, in the political system, the education system. And, and that, that caused him a lot of, you know, he, he was that, that he talked about that a lot. And he, he made sure we understood um, what was going on. Um, and so in a way, this political era would not have surprised him. Right. So I, he wasn't, but he was optimistic in his way. And, you know, he, the, the, the thinkers that he loved, the the great thinkers of the American Revolution, um, Martin Buber, Yates, Rilke, Rumi, um, the list goes on and on of the people he read, the uh, transcendentalists, the the romantic poets. I mean, he was really widely read, um, and the one in the Shakespeare, Brecht, Viola, they all have. Every everything that he was interested in was optimistic in a sense that it was about the liberation of the human being, you know. <laughs> and so um, that that's a profoundly optimistic uh, idea that we can um, experience at least moments of liberation through whatever means we have: spirituality, art, you know, uh, focus. Um, so yeah, so he, you know, he was. Too smart to be a hundred percent optimistic, but uh -huh. um, but there he was, yeah. And so, what was it like when he was teaching you when you were a student of his? Oh God, it was terrifying. I bet um, <laughs> <laughs> he was always very uh, open and kind to me, as he knew that I was not uh, an actor. <laughs> I I I was. You know, I'm, I'm more of a writer by temperament. Um, I've always been that way. I took workshop because I felt the need to understand it. You know, he called it the family business. And I and I needed to know. I'd, I'd grown up in it. Um, and I needed to, you know, I, I wanted to understand it. And he, when he taught me, he was training me to be a side coach. I could tell the way mm -hmm. he would talk to me in mm -hmm. class. He knew that that was what he needed me to do. Um I was resistant to that for many, many years, but I did eventually succumb. <laughs> but he, it was, he was, he could be scary in workshop. Obviously he's famous for his temper and yelling at us, but he also was very loving in workshop and kind. And he would yell and scream. And then he'd say, but I love you all. And, you know, it was like, he wanted the best for us. It's, right. it's hard to explain. Um, very few people were actually really like, people sort of enjoyed it because it was almost like a, sh <laughs> it's hard to explain, but he, um, they were thrilled to see that much passion about something in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a unique, um, and uh, unless he was, uh, uh, you know, he was long past any throwing of chairs, although that's questionable if that really happened. Um, he, he was long past that when I met him, but he would yell sometimes. Um, and just anyone who does, a theater game workshop I found is scared coming in. Absolutely. We're, Absolutely. We're afraid. 
the the fear of exposure is a huge part of what the workshop process is about is like getting us getting us over it through that and since i was not had no need or desire to be an actor or a performer i felt that pretty acutely it would 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 have been that way with any teacher let alone your father um so but he was very kind to me in workshop and supportive of me and um uh i think that that fear my not being a native born actor is actually really helpful to me as a teacher because i don't assume that my students are come i i I assume that they need um help calming themselves down and getting themselves focused and ready to play and um a lot of violas games do that so um uh, I have a I have a great respect for the healthy fear of the player, and I understand that that's part of the process. So right, you know, um, I'm teaching here in Florida improvisation theater games for anxiety, and other people are doing it all over the yeah. country, and working oh, great. With, and working with kids as well. And uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about, then come back to some memories, but about your method of teaching. I'm sure it's Spolin and and side coaching and working with kids. What you discover is a big question here. So, oh, working with yeah, okay. working with kids and 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 your style of teaching and and maybe defining side coaching because not everybody really knows what that is. Right. Yeah. Viola called. She never said I. You know, she didn't like to be called a teacher. Um, she didn't, she said no one teaches anyone anything. This is an idea that comes from the progressive era. You know, uh, the idea of experiential learning is really embedded deeply within her work. Um, and, and not only that, but the, the evaluation method, um, is completely new to most people when they come in because the teacher never says you're doing it right or wrong or good or bad. The, um, the, so Viola called um, that she called herself a side coach, kind of like a third base coach, right? In in baseball or softball, um, they just kind of help the player see where the path is clear, um, but they're not not telling them what to do. The side coach is a fellow player, but they're also the person who holds the workshop and um, explains the game and lets everyone play, and then offers some throws out some side coachings during the play of the game. Um, and then uh, there's an evaluation afterward that's very simple. It's basically asking if the players stayed on focus and what happened when they did rather than asking if, if you know, uh, rather than asking for a critique. And the idea is that this is liberating. And then suddenly you're not playing for the teacher, but you're playing just to play and for yourself and to make new discoveries. And so it opens up, uh, you know, what people play eventually once they understand this teaching method, they play with total freedom at some point. And I found this to be true. So my teaching method is Viola. I, I try to follow Viola as closely as possible um, because I believe it works. I could give, uh, improv is, seems to have become a series of rules, but they don't mm-hmm. see, they, they don't really work as well as allowing the student to make their own discoveries in a place, um, you know, that's, gently you know with through folk through the focus of the game for me i don't think you get the same kind of uh, um originality and uh explosion of spontaneity as viola would have called it um so that's my method i'm uh 
Um, I also teach improvisation for writers um, and to develop and devise new material. So those are, I'm really interested in that. Um, I, uh, um, for working with kids, the, the second part of your quest question was what discoveries have I made working with kids? Yes. That's such a challenge. It's so interesting because I'm really used to a self-selected group of people who come and want to study with me. And that doesn't mean you don't get resistance. Believe me, you get so much resistance on every level. And basically, you know, learning to be a, a, a side coach is like learning all the ways to like <laughs> work around the player's resistance without cause of calling too much attention to it. Mm. But um, to, you know, get them past that. That's, but that's a natural part of the process is getting them past their own resistance. But with kids, it's it's interesting that the forms of resistance kids and adults take are exactly the same. Um, but I've learned you have to break down the games sometimes and simplify them for kids mm-hmm. um, into smaller parts. I use, you know, I work, uh, Viola has a book called Improvisation, I mean, Theater Games for the Classroom, right. which is really, really helpful for people working with younger players. Um, so, you you know, you learn through trial and error, and you, it's so funny working with kids because it's like, <clears throat> oh, late in the afternoon, nope, this is just not going to work. They're cranky. Right. <laughs> they need a snack, you know. Um, uh, but the, um, um, essentially... Um, simplifying the games, breaking them down into parts. I was having trouble with games like Give and Take and Mirror, which some groups get instantly with kids and some right. take a much longer time to do Mirror. So I would start breaking down the face, like the breaking down the process and just start with mirroring the face and then introduce the body. And then, you know, so do Mirror like a little bit every day with a group and then they would get it. Um, and then it was very hard for this one group I had at first, and the ages were like from four to eleven, which that's is a very tough. Wide, that's very tough. Wide, yeah, very hard. And you think, um, but the four-year-old got it eventually. And I have a group now, a performing group called the Predicament Players, and we're, we've been going into uh, LA Unified School District schools with our show of theater games, and we were lucky enough to perform our show for a group of kids I'd been working with in an after-school program. And they, um, the last game was Transformation of Relationship, which is a really complex Spolin game that begins with the mirror. And um, the kids I'd been working with were seated in the front row, and I heard one of them saying, "As they they were." my players were doing the mirror and going back and forth and then following the follower until they a relationship was discovered and uh, through follow the follower. And I heard one of my kids saying very loudly, Oh, mirror, that's easy. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that's great, you know, but it does, it it just, everything takes a little bit longer with kids, but it's worth it. And one of the discoveries I made, which is not really a discovery, but for me it was, was that it's it's really helpful to go in with a, um, and this is this is through working my you know my mother Carol Sills's work and Viola's work and, but going in with a fairy tale, or folk tale right. from a different culture with the kids and then playing the games using that the where the location from the fairy tale like using the games in relation to the fairy tale was really helpful when working with very young kids 
Um, so I just say that for any other teachers who are out there. And not only that, the stories, we, you, the kids, when you read the kids a story, um, you can see it's like this physiological change in them. They, they need it so badly. They need those stories so badly. And so um, that was that was uh, wonderful for me to be able to go back to bringing stories in the way I was uh, uh, taught as a kid. Um, I, I did see a video of you teaching look like high school kids um, someplace on your site maybe or online um, that you were teaching high school kids and they were all talking about what they got out of improv and how it helped them. Yeah. Was that, it might have been for Los Angeles Drama Club. Yes, I did a, yes. a Shakespeare and Spolin week. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Yeah. And they, were, they were also another wide uh, age range. They were ages 7 to 14. So there were some kids just starting high school. Yeah, I've taught with those age ranges, and it's a challenge, but sometimes it really works well, and sometimes... Not so well. Um, yeah. And we the just... teacher, yeah. When you work with kids, you really have to like, give up any expectations that right. you have and just let it happen. And eventually it'll work. But you have to be very patient, I think. <laughs> and uh, we also work with um, children with autism as well. So that's a different population. And when you have yeah. an age range, it can be a great gap. But they're amazing kids, and they, they like to make up their own games. But, um, Wonderful. Yeah, I'm really identifying with you because really I don't perform. I'm a teacher, and Spolin mm-hmm. is my Bible. That's how I like to teach. Um, I, learned, <laughs> I learned a lot of different things when I was first learning, but I really feel like I'm not certified, but that's where I teach from because the games are the best, I think, and the exercises. So, and there's no need to be certified. Anyone who offers you a certification in this process is probably selling you up the river, right? right? <laughs> yeah, it's just doing it and and going to workshops where people are spoiling base, and you know, yes. eventually going to one of yours. I've worked a little bit with Gary Schwartz; it's been really illuminating. So, uh-huh, good. yeah, wonderful. So, tell me more about your mother, Carol Sills. What was her story? Because she was involved oh, yeah, Car- in improv too. In everything, yeah. Carol was Carol um, was uh, grew up in Montreal and um, moved to Canada. I mean, uh, moved from Canada to Chicago um, right after college. She wanted to be in the heartland, as she said. She wanted to see what was going on. I think first she wanted to uh, work with Frank Lloyd Wright, Italian, but wow. that um, the program didn't it didn't work. It was ending right then or something. So she moved to Chicago. And she moved in with um, a, a, a wonderful uh, roommate named Louise, and she um, heard there were job openings at Second City, and so they like uh, you know went over there and became cocktail waitresses at Second City, um, where all the uh, cool people were apparently, you know, <laughs> um, and they knew that. So they these were really educated women, and um, and they knew that it was a uh, um, the place to be. And so that's where she met Paul. A lot of marriages, uh, a lot of people I know, the marriages came, came that way. They worked at second city. Um, and so she, uh, she worked pretty much from the time she married Paul, which was, um, 1961 or 60 Mm -hmm. that, I mean, she pretty much worked on every production of his sometimes credited, sometimes uncredited because that's the way, um, marriage goes, I think, but, um, 
she she was his scenic designer. You know, she was often his producer because she was doing a lot of the stuff that needed to be done. Um, she is she trained as a painter. Her education was um, in fine arts um, um, at the museum um, in Montreal and at um, Mount Allison University. And she studied with some of the great uh, painter educators in Canada, like Arthur Lismer, and his philosophies were very um, similar to Viola Spolin. Um, and he was interested in teaching painting as a group art form. Um, and so, and using stories um, from cultures around the world and um, getting everybody involved in a, a sort of collective art making process and very exploratory. And so she developed uh, Carol through that work and then through so when she met Paul and Viola she was like oh these are my people mm-hmm. you know <laughs> uh-huh. um and she was reading Martin Buber too so they were you yeah. know it was uh, somehow they found each other um but they um Carol developed a really amazing program of teaching art um using theater games and the sort of collective processes of Arthur Lismer with this like group mural making and group clay mural building all based around a story um uh, usually like when I was a kid we would do that I remember doing creation myths um uh-huh. from different cultures all in clay and and beautiful murals and um lots of theater games involved in the process and Carol's um it's, it's just a really beautiful program she's developed. Mm. And not only that, she's Viola, she was Viola's editor. She edited um, the last several editions of Improvisation for the Theater and every book that came after the 80s. She's Viola's editor. And uh, she teaches Paul's, Paul's – and she uh, developed a story theater, a way to teach story theater, um, and she teaches that. And are your sisters involved with her on that now? Oh yeah, um, Rachel. My sister Rachel is an actress and was in many, many of Paul's productions and trained with Paul for years. Um, and my sister Polly is. Uh, she helps out too, doing stuff. She's she's a tattoo um, artist, and um, so she's not interested in performing or being in the theater, but she does a lot behind the scenes. Um, my and my younger sister Neva is a painter and works with kids and adults, teaches painting to a wide range of kids. And she was, Neva, uh, Neva worked with Carol a lot in her program, assisting her. That's great. I, I did I did look at their sites. I saw Neva's painting. She's incredible. And, of course, yeah. I'm assuming she was named because it's an unusual name after Neva Boyd. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> And as a social worker, I love the story of the connection between Neva, Viola, and Hull House. The mother of the mother of social work created Hull House, Jane Adams, and then these two brilliant minds came together with the folk, yes. folk games and and just incredible, incredible history. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you about your work too, um, and um, about your. Uh, you're speaking, there was a topic I saw, Search for Community, that you're giving at Hull House. I think that was the title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it, The talk is about, um, it's, it's named after uh, a 1950s interview with Paul when they were talking about the Compass Theater. And they, you know, I think it was the first press the Compass got, and they were asking him, 
what it was all about. And he said, it's a search for a community. You know, he said, like, one day I hope there's a whole bunch of little theaters all around that spring up based out, you know, uh, everyone doing their own thing, which is a pretty prophetic statement. But that's really, that was the ideal that of, of Viola's work carried through Paul was this sort of democratic build your own theater movement. Right. Um, they, and it came through from the, that community based philosophy at Hull house, you know, um, in, in Chicago, which I, I won't go into the whole history cause it's epic. Um, and amazing. I just encourage everyone to go look up and see what Jane Adams was doing. Um, but, you know, after, well, I think it was November 9th, 2016, was a dark day in my life. The, the very first thing I did was go get two hefty biographies of Jane Addams. <laughs> because I was like, what are we going to do? How, how do we get through this? Um, and uh, she just was so, she accomplished so much in oh, terms of bringing bringing people together and public policy and the fact that she couldn't even vote when she started to do these things. Um, just the list of, you know, of reforms of the 20th century that she's directly or indirectly responsible for and that we're, you know, we're kind of taking losing now. It's, it's just mind boggling. Well, she got that, a Nobel prize, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. 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 Nobel, yeah. For her peace activism. Right. Yep. And I mean, she, she was really um, one of the most famous figures of the 20th century. Um, and, and she did it all, you know, and she was inclusive. And mm -hmm. um, if it weren't for Hull House, a lot of, you know, the great, you know, flowering of, of um, creativity and prosperity that emerged out of Chicago um, arts communities and many different communities would just wouldn't have happened or, you know, and um, so that Hull House is, you know, go check it out. Jane Addams is a real inspiration. If you, if you see like, how can we, how can we mobilize people? How can we get, how can we change things? Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's worth it to look to the past a little bit to see what they did. Um, and so the Viola was trained there by right. Neva Boyd and also, you know, Neva Boyd had her own school at her own house. Um, but Neva Boyd was a settlement worker at Hull House and she was part of that community. Um, and she was in conversation with Jan Jane Adams, you know, when Neva Boyd wrote about play, helping children learn to work together happily you know mm -hmm. she's talking as she talks about how play helps children develop social values that's that's a direct issue she's, she's in direct conversation with jane adams there because jane adams uh wrote about social ethics being necessary for democracy that we need to learn to see through another's eyes and learn about each other and get out of our own limited cultural spheres uh, social, social, economic, racial, religious, whatever, meet someone who's not like you and learn what they need and like try to understand it. She, you know, Jane Addams said that's what a cultivated, educated person does and democracy doesn't function without that. And so when Neva Boyd said that play, you know, she's saying play does that, you know, for mm -hmm. children in a way. And so Viola was carrying that message Viola would talk about uh, an old story from her day called A Message to Garcia. You know, um, it, Paul, I think, wrote about it 
in the um, intro to improvisation for the theater, the third edition. But that's what Viola was carrying that message through to people. And I think that's why through, you know, through theater games. And I think that's why people are starting to realize that improvisation does so many wonderful things for people. Um, and so my, my role right now, my, my job right now is to remind people that that came from the, these progressive ideals, because I think people sometimes think, oh, improv comedy does this, right. but actually there are separate threads. Yes, absolutely. Of the, of the work. And um, we need to remind people that it was these amazing progressive women that founded this art form that need to be remembered and that their work, the ways their work got collectively shut down in the 20th century um, and not, and put down and not remembered are clear to us now as forms of, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, the way a lot of women were shut down in the 20th century and we need their, their, but Viola's work and the necessity for it and the evaluation method is just as radical uh, and I mean that in a good way, not in the, the yes, contemporary yes. way we use it. <laughs> it's just as innovative and modern and necessary now as it was then, maybe even more, more. so. Yeah, like and and so that's my job is just to, to remind people that this is where it really came from. Absolutely. You know, going to Hull House itself I was able to do one year and it was of course like going to Mecca for me and the beautiful pictures <laughs> and being in the space um, even though some of it's not original anymore but it's just uh, and I'm sure your talks there are just outstanding I think they must be wonderful and so many people don't even know of Neva Boyd and yeah. um, you know but talking also speaking about people in the beginning and people that wanted to bring theater to the people an improvisational theater to the theater is our mutual friend David Shepard, and uh -huh. who you know unfortunately passed away uh, recently. Um, yeah. Do you have any memories of your dad with David Shepard at all? Oh yeah, David lived with us at periods. You know, for oh, really? periods he would he wouldn't have somewhere <laughs> he, would, he would come live with us. I mean, they were always uh, always close, always close, always in contact by phone or by writing. You know, by letter, um, they weren't always on the same page artistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Paul would Paul would tell David that <laughs> when he uh, David had a different kind of uh, mind than Paul, mm -hmm. very different in their interests, I think, but but similar as well. You know, um, Paul was more of a doer. You know, uh, and um, David, David was too, but in his way, you know, he was, a, he was a little more out there, you know, in, in, a, in, in great ways. Um, but yeah, they were, they were close friends and they cared deeply for each other. That's what I remember about them. Yeah. It was a beautiful spirit that David Shepard. I really loved him. I got to speak with him once, but that was enough to get a great impression of him. Um, so let me ask you this. Now that you have a daughter... And this is your only child right now, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and does having a child affect your view on the future of improvisational theater, or does it relate at all? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. I, 
I just know that I want her to play. I want her to have the opportunity to play. And when I work, and, and that helps, you know, if I get some classes going, it helps other kids have the opportunity to play. And I noticed something really interesting working with this last group of kids. We were playing Kitty Wants a Corner. Which, I love that um, game. I love that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, classic. Paul started every every uh, every workshop with Pussy Wants a Corner, right. which is the old Hull House name. Yep. Um, and there's a reason. I still use the term Pussy Wants a Corner, and um, we, we call it that in a workshop. Um, the old, you know, the old fashioned name. Um, and if you work with kids, obviously you have to change the name now. You'll get fired if you don't. Right. But um, the uh, the uh, but it's it's kind of a, we, we like the old traditional names and and that's uh, that. So I always keep that. And also, it's just like get over it. Right, right, right. Well, we still talk about puss in boots, right? Not everything's right? a joke. That was an old-fashioned term for kitty. Yeah. So these kids were playing Kitty Wants a Corner, and I noticed several of them stopped playing midway through and just started watching. And I had never experienced that before. Um, and maybe other teachers are more familiar with that. Maybe they were tired or this or that. Uh, but eventually I got them to play more fully um you know, and they they felt more comfortable to play more fully is the way I should put it. But it was new to me that this that that they would just literally stop and watch everybody else. And and obviously a game doesn't work that way, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> the, game, the game stops working. But what I think I don't know. I just felt like I don't know if it's screen time. I don't or you know the just the fact that these games are not that they're not playing a lot of games with each other in this way right, right. Um, anymore. And I realized this is important work. You know, if like you know, as if I didn't know that. But but now more than ever, kids need these opportunities to play and learn through movement and um, working with each other and working it out with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's super crucial now. And so that's what and having a kid really got me back into working with kids. That's and um, it's been super challenging, but it's also it's just so great. That's beautiful. And so you have um, classes that you give workshops for adults periodically. Um, in June, you're going to um, the Amer uh, Applied Improvisation Network Conference in Alan Alda. Yeah, I have a, a, a lot of workshops coming up. I teach regularly around the country, um, pretty regularly in Los Angeles. Um, I give like eight to 10 week workshops and intensives in a variety of different kinds of workshops. Um, I teach uh, weekend intensives in Chicago, um, the Bay Area, um, New York annually. Um, and I'll be hopefully doing one in Boston and Portland this year. But coming up this summer, I have a weekend intensive at Hull House in the historic dining hall in June. Mm. I'm super excited about that. That's going to be an amazing place to play, you know, where FDR and uh, Neva Boyd uh, broke bread. That's that's a pretty, pretty lucky experience. And then there's also several free events there. Um, and I'm um, doing a New York intensive right after in May and um, in August, I'll be at the Applied Improvisation Network Conference, which is at the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University, where I'll be talking about the origins of improvisational theater. Um, and 
uh, I'm really, really excited about that. And so, and then I'll have lots more workshops coming up in the fall. And if anyone's interested in um, finding out more, they can visit violaspolin.org and check out the workshops page and you can sign up to be notified of upcoming classes. Great. And I'll post that on this uh, podcast page as well and cool. uh, other sites as well. And I have just enjoyed speaking with you so much. I can't wait to take a workshop with you one day. And yes. I think the work you're doing is so important because I've taken a lot of work. I've taken a lot of improv classes and workshops and there's different ways and different methods of teaching improv. But for me, the Spolin method has the most usefulness for human beings, relating to each other, collaborating, and learning almost conflict resolution as well, um, yeah. as well as all the other benefits. So I, I think it's wonderful that you're carrying on in the family business. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, you take care, and I'll see you in the future. And thank you again for your time, Aretha. All right. Thank you. Thank you.